Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking with some more recent events of uh, things that have been going on recently in the world of UFOs. So, first of all, there's been a pretty significant development this week in that there's been uh, some Brazilian UFO hearings. So kind of, I guess, picking up where the uh, US hearings recently left off or following on from uh, the fact that there were some hearings in in U.S. Congress, and this this week there was actually a hearing in the Brazilian Senate, uh, specifically on the topic of UFOs or UAP, if you prefer unidentified aerial phenomena. And uh, I've actually been helped out quite a bit in in looking into this by a, a gentleman by the name of Gabriel Andrade, a Brazilian UFO researcher who's been posting reports on the Brazilian hearing on reddit and uh, elsewhere as well to help people understand what's actually happening at this hearing and um, this is obviously a brazilian gentleman so he's he's able to actually figure out um what's being said you know and translate it now uh, this is especially helpful since unfortunately the actual broadcast didn't have subtitles and even watching it back the subtitles are auto generated which is kind of not ideal because some of that nuance of the language can get a bit lost and it's not always exactly accurate if you've ever used those auto translate subtitles you'll know exactly what i mean so it was good to be able to actually figure out exactly what had been said from a brazilian so first of all i think it's uh it's important to understand that this is kind of like a, a, legi- a legislative listening session that's a tongue twister, where the uh, the government officially basically talks about issues that may be important to various parliamentary areas. And uh, this particular session is actually commemorating the 75th anniversary of, of ufology, basically, since 1947. And um, the, the authorities in Brazil there are basically... Um, bringing ufologists and other important figures related to the the topic uh, specifically as it pertains to brazil and their national security issues and, and their you know political issues just in general now this session stretched to about just over five hours nearly five and a half hours and there was uh, no breaks or anything like that and there was no um uh, classified portion it was just completely available to watch in full on on the, the streaming that was provided and the questions were mostly asked by the audience after the speakers and everything like that were done and uh, the audience uh, through the digital streaming service were able to actually ask ask questions so first of all then uh, the the first order of the day was senator Eduardo Girao. Now, listen, you're going to have to bear in mind that some of these pronunciations, I don't actually know if I'm saying them right. So there's going to be a ton of names in today's episode that I'm probably going to get wrong. So what can I do? I apologize to anybody whose names I'm, I'm completely massacring, but hopefully you'll you'll actually be able to understand at least who I'm talking about. So this is Eduardo. I think I'm safely doing that one okay. Girao. So that's uh, G-I-R-A with a little accent squiggle thing over the top of it. Oh, 
So if you do want to find out any more about these these people, I'll try and spell the names out wherever it's a complicated name, just in case people want to find out more about them by Googling them, etc. So uh, Senator Eduardo uh, begins the, the session with a, a bit of a kind of uh, presentation talking about things like you know the vast scale of the universe and you know how scientific efforts over this last the last 40 years or so has discovered you know an increasing number of new breakthroughs and discoveries about the universe and you know essentially talking about the fact that it's it's almost impossible statistically for there not to be some kind of intelligent life out there somewhere in the universe in our galaxy or beyond um, just because of the sheer number of p potentially habitable planets out there. And that's, I guess you could say, habitable by our standards. But if you think about life could have in evolved in, in ways that are completely different to our standards. And th the point is, there's so much potential out there for life to have evolved. It's not really a ridiculous thing to suggest that some of that life that may have occurred elsewhere in the universe may have advanced to a to a high level of development and um that's that's a, a bit of background as to why it's not a ridiculous thing to 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 uh, hypothesize that there may be life from elsewhere in the universe that has discovered us that is visiting us and uh, senator eduardo um g also just kind of thanks everybody present and does a kind of an introductory bit and explains the reasons for this uh, this particular hearing. Now, after that, he goes into talking a little bit about um, the, the, the various countries that have actually built governmental organisations to actually cover this topic. Brazil kind of being the first in the world to actually acknowledge the existence of these objects um, you know, especially relating them to potential extraterrestrial visitors in 1954. And he, he makes it clear that over a long period of time, a lot of data has been gathered relating to UFOs within the Brazilian government and that they have over 20,000 pages of documents relating to this subject and, you know, actually managing to record craft you know, as he as he puts it, that that do not fit our technological level, but the facts are apparently that there are a lot of documents that are still yet to be released into the public domain, which is um you know it's it's an interesting point. There's there's a lot of of information that we've been able to get access to over the last few years relating to the American disclosure process, and there's still a lot to be revealed. There's a lot of progress in terms of transparency still yet to be made. There has been strides, but there's still a long way to go, and apparently that's the same kind of thing in, in Brazil as well. Even though perhaps the Brazilian government are more transparent already, there is still a lot of, um, of things behind the scenes that would be you know very important to know about and uh, just as he finishes off he's also commenting on the um the the 20 the 21 years of the first ufology museum in latin america which is located in itara which is in rio grande do sul and soon after he made it clear that this is a subject that needs more attention and that we should be open to researching it and you know clarifying the, the topic and, and allowing everybody to you know get involved and, and access the information to get to the bottom of it 
so that was kind of like the introductory segment so next up is a gentleman by the name of wilson pickler and i think that one's quite easy to uh to say so i think I, I didn't murder the pronunciation on that one so doing all right so far now wilson pickler is a former federal deputy specialist in scientific methodology socio founder and representative of the uninter group and he is the first guest speaker of the hearing he kind of gives a little bit of context about life in our galaxy again and then he quite interestingly goes into a survey which he organized based on um you know the, the general way that political surveys are done and it, it specifically relates to ufos uap and the actual results that he's presenting quite interesting which we'll go through in a minute and apparently this survey was accredited by the Data Veritas Institute. And um, it kind of gives a bit of insight as to how the population of Brazil actually consider this topic, which I found quite interesting to, to kind of weigh up. Now, firstly, it goes into um, the fact that people's religious and people's religious leanings and belief has an impact on their engagement with the topic and you know their belief or beliefs are not a word that i like to use but how, how how credible they consider the the phenomenon to be in terms of is it a legit thing is it is it you know do they consider it a real thing or do they consider it some ridiculous story and things like that and that is a really interesting point because you know there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at that which is you know you could do a podcast in itself just on that but and, and indeed, people like Diana Pasolka have done entire books on, on this kind of thing. But if you think about it, people who are brought up in a belief system like Catholicism, for example, I was, I was kind of brought up Catholic. I'm from an Irish Catholic family. And you're, you're brought up hearing about non-human entities in interacting with humans. So you, you already have... A bit of a one less hurdle to get over in, in accepting what's going on with this topic it's not really that difficult to kind of make the jump from you know angels and demons interacting with humans and you know gods and so on to thinking about some kind of other non-human intelligence interacting with humans and then you could argue that it is the same thing all along and the various non-human characters that are mentioned in religious texts actually do refer to some kind of non-human entities which may be you know controlling these these craft and things like that so i just find that a fascinating topic and it's one i've not really fully sort of got my head around i guess you could say um but always an interesting one to kind of add a little bit more data into the mix in 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 regards to that point so going into the actual results of the uh the, the survey that was done then so uh, it's obviously if you want to get the the real kind of details about exactly what was gone through here uh, i definitely recommend watching the entire thing but i'll go through a few of the interesting points that i kind of pulled out and um, so for one of the, the questions was in your opinion is there technologically evolved intelligent extraterrestrial life in the universe to which 78 percent said yes 16 percent said no and 5.1 percent said don't know in your opinion, is there technologically developed intelligent extraterrestrial life in our own galaxy? So that's obviously not just out there somewhere in the universe, but in our galaxy. 
and interestingly a lower percentage uh, believe that that is the case 64% said yes 29% said no and 6.2% don't know so I mean I, I would tend to sort of go along with that line of thinking really you know the consensus as, as found in this survey is basically saying that if there is intelligent life very technologically advanced it's probably outside of our galaxy otherwise perhaps you know, we would have ran into them by this point or detected signs of them by this point. I suppose that's kind of why the percentage is lower that believe that there is, you know, advanced non-human life in our galaxy. But is there some, some of that somewhere out in the universe? A higher percentage believe that that is the case. But anyway, moving on from that then, I just thought that would was interesting to, to pull out those statistics but as I say if you're interested in the survey and the statistics presented you can watch the whole thing uh, in a bit more detail but one quote as well from Pickler was that quote it's pretentious to think that we know everything about a universe so vast unquote I think that was particularly poignant and that that quote was also pulled out by the debrief as well who did a write-up on the, the Brazilian hearings and I think that's a good point. At the end of the day, if you look back at history, there were many, many times throughout human history that we thought we'd figured everything out, only to realise that we have to go back to the drawing board and figure things out, and we got this wrong and that wrong, and, and our understanding of the universe changes all the time. So this is the thing about the UFO phenomenon in general. There's so much about the universe that we don't understand. You can't really draw any particularly firm conclusions about anything, really. You know, when you're talking about these mysteries of what's out there in the universe and, and things like that, because there's so much that we still have yet to learn as humans. And uh, that point there, that quote, I thought summed that up quite nicely. Anyway, following on from uh, Pickler was a gentleman by the name of AJ Javad. I'm probably saying that wrong. I apologize. G E V A E R D. Some of these names are a little bit difficult for me to pronounce, as I mentioned earlier, but there we go. And uh, this gentleman is widely recognized as kind of the most knowledgeable Brazilian expert on UAP. And he went through a outline of the country's kind of involvement with the topic historically and one of the particular things that he talked about was um, an event on may the 19th 1986 which involved sightings of 21 very large unidentified flying objects over sao paulo rio de janeiro minas gerais and joa I'm, again, very difficult to pronounce some of these, but some of these objects were estimated to be as much as 100 metres in diameter and were detected by radars at the Brazilian Air Force's Integrated Centre for Air Defence and Air Traffic Control. A really fascinating incident. And uh, Jackson Camargo, who spoke about the incident during the hearing, noted that over the course of that evening, several fighter jets were scrambled by the Air Defence Operations Centre to attempt to intercept these objects. Now, this is a really fascinating case, and it's what's known as the Night of the UFOs, the Brazilian Night of the UFOs. And um, these particular objects had five Brazilian Air Force fighter jets actually sent to intercept these objects and sometimes the the pilots actually had visual contact with the the targets but the radars didn't register anything other times the radar actually picked up the presence of the objects but the pilots couldn't see them 
very interesting and the air force actually when it's logged these incidents i've only actually considered the ones where the sightings had simultaneous confirmation in other words it was picked up by the radars and confirmed by visual confirmation by the pilots themselves as well but a really intriguing thought that sometimes they were they were able to see them with the naked eye but the radars didn't pick them up and vice versa as well and actually in brazil there was a press conference held on may the 23rd 1986 at 4 30 p.m to be precise and the the then minister of aeronautics brigadier octavio julio moreira lima called a press conference to inform the press that five fighter jets had indeed chased 21 ufos and a quote from him at the time was quote it's not about whether or not you believe in extraterrestrial beings or flying saucers we can only give technical information there are several assumptions technically i would tell you that we have no explanation unquote and at the end of that press conference which was actually attended by the five pilots who went to intercept the objects and the flight controllers who were on duty that night as well the Minister of Aeronautics declared that the episode would be investigated and that within 30 days he would publish a complete dossier on the event. But it was actually 23 years later that a report was finally kind of signed off. It was actually signed by the Interim Air Force Command, uh, Jose Pessoa Cavalcanti de Albuquerque. And that report was actually dated June the 2nd, 1986, but it was only released on September the 25th, 2009, 23 years in the making. And a quote from that uh, particular dossier that was released is, quote, This command is of the opinion that the phenomena are solid and reflect in a certain way intelligence. Due to the ability to follow and maintain a distance from observers, as well as to fly in formation, not necessarily manned, unquote. So essentially the conclusion there, which took him 23 years to, to finally figure out, I guess, and put him right in ready for release, is that not only are these objects actually real, so it's not a figment of the power's imagination, you know, which seems about right because we're talking about objects here that have been picked up on radar and also have been visually confirmed as well. And not only were they not fictitious, or not a figment of anybody's imagination or hallucination, but they're indeed solid objects. And they also reflect intelligence due to the way that they actually behaved, flew, flew in formation, followed and maintained a distance from the, the jets. But also it mentions that, interestingly, that they're not necessarily manned very intriguing and it's it's a case that i have heard about in the past but this has kind of prompted me to go back into that and, and check out in a little bit more detail it's a really fascinating incident and you can actually find out more about it um it's uh the, there is a ufo collection in the national archive of brazil and apparently ufos is the most frequent uh, requested documents in that archive and um, Brazil, Brazil actually have their own Freedom of Information Act, uh, which was enacted in 2012, and UFOs is generally the, the most requested topic under that. 
which uh, I think I might add a bit of the statistics to that by doing some of my own requests. It's, it sounds very, very interesting and something I might go back into in the podcast in the future. But anyway, going back on track to what was actually mentioned in the hearing, obviously, as I said there, um, we've had a, a couple of different people brought up there um, to, to give presentations and give some thoughts. And it goes on with various other individuals which i won't go into the the whole thing because we'll be there for absolutely ages if we do every single aspect of it as you can imagine it's five and a half hours long so we've not got time to get into every aspect but another uh, point which is worth mentioning is robert salas actually uh, appeared made an appearance and robert salas is the uh, the gentleman who was the u.s air force captain who actually was present at the Malmstrom Air Force Base in an incident in 1967 where allegedly a UFO, glowing UFO, appeared over the base and shut down um, multiple Minuteman nuclear missiles, which is obviously a very significant case. And Robert Salas was there to testify about his incident. And he also showed a video as well, uh, the beginning of his, his speech, which, if I'm honest, I didn't find the most compelling video I've ever seen, but still interesting that he did present that video and went into some details about his case and gave his uh, testimony. And I think from the way he was talking, he was very thankful to be there and the fact that they'd given him a platform to talk about an incident which he's trying to he's been trying to raise awareness of for a long, long time. So it was kind of vindication for Robert Salas uh, to a certain extent. And it does make you wonder, with his case having been mentioned at the US hearings recently, what's how that storyline is going to progress. You know, are they going to get Robert Salas in? Does this kind of set a precedent that the Brazilian government are taking it seriously enough to get him in to, to testify and to, to talk about his incident and what that could mean? you know are we going to see the us kind of pick up where that's left off and get him in and obviously the speculation continues to swirl around what's going to happen going forward with the us uh, hearings are there going to be more hearings when are we going to see them my personal opinion on that is that currently the the hearings around donald trump are taking place in the states and i think there's probably been a decision made um, behind the scenes to delay the u.s hearings a little bit so that they don't just go under the radar with everybody focusing on the donald trump hearings possibly an element of that and also possibly an element of it just takes a bit of time for these processes to kind of for the cogs to turn for the various people who are involved the people who are part of these committees need to do their homework follow up on the things that came up in the first hearing and and then they need to request the next hearing i don't think it's going to be personally i mean this is just my own speculation but i don't think it's going to be anytime soon i think we're probably going to see the hearings pick up once the donald trump hearings are over and then we'll see some more ufo hearings in in the um in the states again and hopefully we will see robert salas there's been a lot of speculation that that travis taylor um who is one of the scientists who's actually been involved in the skinwalker ranch show and um a part of brandon fugel's team a very credentialed actually a scientist with multiple phds and um he he's just been revealed as the the chief scientist for the uap task force now that story is kind of still unfolding 
um, to the actual extent of what his involvement was there. And apparently Susan Goff has actually provided a, a, a statement about his involvement, saying that he was the chief scientist on an informal basis for a while, um, whilst everything was kind of being put into motion with the UAP task force and apparently sort of suggesting that he's not the chief scientist anymore at this point. So I'm going to keep an eye on that side of things and see how it progresses as we go along. But there was quite a lot of um, controversy surrounding even the fact that he was the chief scientist of the UAP task force. Uh, people discussing it very strong opinions either way um, for me I think it's a case of just let's just wait and see exactly what comes out of all of this we may see Travis Taylor actually testify at, at a hearing we may find out more that actually his involvement was just for a small period of time and then they, they recruited a, a, another team that seems to be what Susan Goff is suggesting but then again you know is that the full story there's been certain you know, certain uh, statements that, that Susan Goff has, has released the way where you're not entirely convinced, or at least I'm not entirely convinced that, that it's the full story and, and are they trying to put a certain slant on things to present it a certain way? Difficult to really tell. But if you listen to Lou Elizondo and his wording of the IG complaint, he names Susan Goff directly as one of the people conspiring with uh, Gary Reed and, and others to actually besmirch his good name and to conspire against him basically and also kind of mentions various aspects of her, susan goff herself subverting the fire process inserting herself into the fire process i think is the way that lou actually puts it so if all of these allegations are indeed accurate how much can the statements that are being released actually be trusted but i suppose again that's one of those things where we're just going to have to wait and see what comes out of all of this if we find out down the line that susan goff is dismissed from her position and has, has been found to have broken the law in terms of subverting the fire process and uh, disseminating false information to the public which is what lou elizondo is pretty directly accusing her of let's let's not forget um, then obviously we'll have to change you know, the way that we take Susan Goff's statements going forward. However, on the other hand, if, it, if there is an open and transparent investigation into her conduct and it's found that she's actually not done anything wrong and uh, things like that, then obviously that's going to change the situation accordingly as well. So we'll just have to see. But the point is, Travis Taylor has now been revealed as the UAP Task Force Chief Scientist by George Knapp. He's done a series of interviews with George Knapp talking about the processes that they went through in terms of putting together the preliminary assessment that came out on June the 25th and uh, talking about some of the processes that they actually went through in terms of selecting the evidence, the, the, the actual uh, footage, etc., for the various cases that are mentioned in that report. So, interesting development that he actually was named as the chief scientist, and it does make you wonder if he will be called up uh, as, a, as a witness in one of these future hearings. But it's another one, as I say, let's put it on the back burner, see how it all develops. But it did just make me think what knock-on effect these Brazilian hearings could have. The fact that they've had Robert Salas actually go up there and and give his version of events, is that going to encourage the US to, to follow suit? And um, and who else is going to be brought up? And when are these US the next US hearings going to take place? We'll just have to wait and see. 
So moving on from that, as I say, anybody who is interested in, in those uh, Brazilian hearings, I recommend you check out the full video. They have had a bit of a glowing review from a lot of people and many people have said that it kind of, you know, puts the US hearings to shame a little bit really because they went into so much more detail. It was much longer and more comprehensive and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I suppose it will be interesting to see how this actually affects the way that, that things go on in, in the US. The only thing I would say is that it is a shame that these Brazilian hearings were not available a bit more internationally. The, the lack of, of good subtitles, good and accurate subtitles is a bit of a shame. And the, as far as I know so far, I've not been able to find a version that's got translation or, or official subtitles. It's just you do have to rely on the automatic subtitles. And I think if the actual hearing would have been broadcast with uh, better subtitles and better translation available, it would have had much more of a splash internationally than it perhaps has. Um, but as I say, that's just my own thoughts to add on to the end of that there. So moving on from that then, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about the um, green triangles, the Jeremy Corbell related green triangles uh, situation. So there has been some developments about this and I think it's uh, worth going into because it's, it's actually quite, quite a lot happening with it. So a little bit of background first of all, these incidents were actually first reported on, as far as I know anyway, this is the first I saw of it, was Dave Beatty actually reported on it. And later down the line, Jeremy Corbell actually released the various videos, including the green triangles, uh, the one where the object enters the water, and also the radar screen recording, uh, showing like unusual movements of these objects on a screen. Now, the actual UAP themselves were sighted in July the 14th, 2019 by crew members aboard the USS Kidd and unidentified aerial vehicles were reported swarming around the ship and other ships in the area as well, such as the US Navy destroyers USS Rafael Peralta, USS Russell, USS John Finn and the USS Paul Hamilton. Now, these UAPs were described as flying for prolonged periods in low visibility conditions and performing brazen maneuvers over the Navy warships near a sensitive military training range less than 100 miles off Los Angeles. So the ship nautical or otherwise photographic interpretation and exploitation team, as I recently found out, is what Snoopy team actually means, but I'll just refer to it as Snoopy Team from now on because that is a bit of a lengthy uh, name. So the Snoopy Team um, actually refer refers to an onboard photographic intelligence team which is tasked with documenting unknown contacts, events of interest, and so on. Now, according to the Navy vets who came forward to speak about this, it's actually highly unusual to send out the Snoopy Team in US waters. And I think among the sort of more dramatic entries in the logs from this incident, which were obtained via fire requests, the ship logs, uh, some of the most interesting comments in there is, is one from the USS Rafael Peralta, which describes a white light hovering over the ship's flight deck. And also the, the encounter had lasted over an, over 90 minutes which is significantly longer than what commercially available drones can typically sustain. 
Now, bearing in mind, though, that is what they can typically sustain, and we're talking about commercially available drones. So it is still possible that drones are involved in this somehow, because, look, it's a bit of an elephant in the room, isn't it, really, drones? We do have to accept that some anomalous sightings may be drones, and we do have to accept that I know there's people listening to this now groaning, the, the, the mention of the D word, right? Now, I don't think all UAP sightings are drones. I'll just say that right away because I really don't think there's much evidence to say that it's all drones. It, that would be a ridiculous overgeneralization. But bearing in mind, when you hear things like, you know, 90 minutes is significantly longer than what a commercially available drone can sustain... That's not taking into account top secret military drones. It's not taking into account drones that can be modified to include bigger battery capacity and things like that. You know, drones can be modified. If you look at the drone community, people modify drones all the time to allow them to go faster, to allow them to operate at lower temperatures and so on. And some of those DHS videos and things like that, I believe are showing like the rubber duck video that came out, uh, I think it was last year, I think that that is actually showing a drone which has been heat shielded so that it doesn't appear on infrared cameras and, and heat seeking um, uh, cameras and things like that because it's probably being used by a cartel to smuggle drugs across the border. So in that case you can significantly increase the load capacity of a drone by boosting the size of the actual engines and the propellers and and you can heat shield it so that the heat from the engines isn't as visible and you can uh, having increased the size of the actual the uh, the motors on on the propellers and the propellers themselves you can allow that drone to carry a bigger load and we have to bear in mind that these cartels and things like that have a pretty big budget to be able to do these kinds of things and if you think about the budget that a cartel would have think about going a step further and thinking about the budget that the the Chinese military might have or the Russian military or any other adversarial nation that you can think of, they are going to have some pretty good drones. But you've also, having said all of that, you've got to bear in mind that these ships were equipped with the Aegis radar, pretty much one of the best radar sensor systems available in the world. Now, Scott Bray at the UFO hearings basically said, well, we are now aware of another case where drones showed up and looked quite similar when viewed through the same equipment, so they're likely drones. And this is referring to the fact that these videos show green triangles. Now, I believe the green has to do with the uh, the equipment. It's not that the actual object itself is green, um, but it's just the, 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 it's like a night vision goggles type of setup where everything appears green and the objects themselves appear to be triangles and they appear to flash and the argument is the hypothesis put forward by Bray at the hearings and various skeptics and debunkers and things as well have, have, have kind of chosen this as the sort of like hypothesis of choice to explain away what these objects were and the trouble is with that and Bray's explanation in particular is that it misses out all of that bigger picture. I just said these these ships were equipped with Aegis radar. It's like one of the best and most advanced radar systems in the world. You would think that the sensor systems available on these ships would pretty quickly be able to determine whether or not these things were drones. And if you don't take into account that bigger picture when you're looking into this, 
you know, you're missing like a, a vital piece of the puzzle, in my opinion. Like if you just say, oh, we saw something else and it looked pretty much the same because these... Uh, these these pieces of equipment have a triangular aperture so any light you look at in the sky appears to be a, a triangle and obviously because of the night vision aspect it appears to be green so bearing that in mind you could put a drone up in the air and that drone when viewed through this piece of equipment would look like a triangle but what happens if you're actually observing something which is not a drone which is some kind of anomalous aerial system or whatever you want to class it as then that's also going to look like a green triangle Bearing in mind, I can throw a frisbee up in the air with a light on it, look at that through the equipment, and what's it going to look like? A green triangle. So that explanation as well, we saw some actual drones and they look like a green triangle. It doesn't really wash because anything you look at using that piece of equipment is going to look like a green triangle if it's a light source in the sky. So there's not really enough of a thorough investigation being done there. And I think Bray should have been asked, you know, at that hearing, what does the radar data show? The classified data, has it been considered as part of the investigation? And if so, does it show anomalous movements or is it purely drone-like behaviour? Bearing in mind, you could answer a lot of these questions without actually revealing any classified data about the sensor systems. I'm not saying spill the beans, tell us all of the spe technical specs of the best sensors in the world that the US have access to. I'm just saying, has that data been considered? You know, And if it is drones, where were they launched from? And who is flying drones that can operate for over 90 minutes at night? You know, even if it is a drone, surely that is pretty bloody concerning. And, and, and you know, don't worry, everyone. It's just that all it is is our enemies operating with impunity right over the best ships that we have. You know, and not only that, they came back the next night as well. But, you know, we were powerless to stop that as well. It really is baffling to me that, you know, if it's drones, that's really bad. You know, if it's not drones, then that's that's you know potentially quite bad as well you know but it's interesting and worth looking into more and it it kind of suggests to me i talked about some of this when we did a round table recently as well where we discussed this it does suggest to me that there is a debunking agenda behind some of the scenes uh, you know behind the scenes basically at the aoi msg and the, the government efforts to uh, look into these cases because if that's the way they're going to carry on with looking at these cases and presenting their findings to the public, I'm I'm not impressed so far. I mean, I would like to see a proper thorough investigation with, you know, the witnesses being brought in, data examined or at least confirmed to have been used as part of the investigation. What? How was that data considered? Those, those sensor systems are the best in the world. Surely that's your first part of call if you want to try and have a look at these uh, anomalous sightings. You know, because those those sensor systems will be able to tell you pretty quickly whether or not you're dealing with something anomalous or not. The movements, you know, the type of objects, how long they stayed in the air, all of that is quite readily available by looking at the sensor data. Is there any corroborating satellite data or other sensor platforms that are in the area at the time? And you know, and then and then put forward a thorough report. And if that thorough report came through with the bigger picture in mind and Bray presented it at the next hearing and it definitively shows, you know, with with actual data like that this is drones, fair enough. You know, we'll go, right, that's drones. Even that, though, is a serious national security concern. Where did the drones come from? How did these drones get over the top of some of the best ships in the, um, you know, in, in, the, uh, in, in the US's arsenal? How did they get above those ships 
you know and how did they manage to come back night after night and there was nothing that they could do to stop them or to control them or to capture them you know it's uh it, it is a very concerning situation however you slice it and the development to do with this that's actually happened uh, this week was an article in the daily mail by a friend of the show christopher sharp and uh, josh boswell who, who who's a, a frequent collaborator journalist for the daily mail and their article was very very interesting it first of all goes into a lot of the detail about exactly what happened during this incident so the sailors on board this fleet of navy warships um in july 2019 witnessed several of the ships being swarmed by a host uh, of unidentified flying objects the incident went on for hours and then happened again throughout the month with craft appearing to hover and, and, and zip around near the fleet of ships with flashing multicolored lights and the article actually talks about how the navy chiefs have tried to explain away this incident with uh, the the deputy director of naval intelligence saying he was reasonably confident that the objects were drones but this is going back to what i was saying i don't want to hear reasonably confident i want to hear absolutely certain after a thorough investigation and that's not what we're getting at the moment and interestingly the article actually um calls upon Jeremy Corbell, who gave them a, a, an exclusive interview for this article. And Jeremy actually has, has doubled down. Because Jeremy being one of the people who actually leaked this footage and was instrumental in bringing this to the attention of the public. Um, Jeremy was actually mentioned in the hearing as well. Uh, not in that particular segment, but at the beginning of the hearing, he was mentioned by name. And Jeremy has been kind of the focus of a lot of criticism recently uh, by various, you know, the skeptics and whatnot saying, oh, okay, the case is closed now, which to be honest with you is pretty, um, pretty telling about, about some of what these skeptics and debunkers are actually willing to accept as good evidence. Because as I just said, what was put forward as an explanation isn't really a, a proper rounded investigation whatsoever. They're merely saying, well, we saw something else that looked similar and that actually was a drone, so we're just going to leave it there then. H how is that an acceptable level of investigation with something so serious? And the fact that sceptics are willing to accept that just because somebody in a position of authority have said it in a hearing and, and it basically confirms conveniently exactly what they thought already about this incident. So they're just, they're just saying, yeah, well, that's proven right now. I don't think that's right. And Jeremy Corbell, for, for his part, has basically doubled down and sort of tripled down, if you will, about the these objects displaying characteristics which are not representative of what you would see with, you know, regular drones. And uh, obviously, Jeremy was the one to publish these videos and the article talks about that, as well as the fact that the leading sort of theory being put forward, the leading hypothesis being put forward is that the craft were quadcopter style UAS unmanned aerial systems and likely came from a nearby Hong Kong registered freight ship, which is the goes by the name of Brass, uh, sorry, Bass Strait. So it's B A S S Strait, S T R A I T, just in case anybody wants to Google it or whatever. 
And in the article, Jeremy directly sort of addresses this and hits back at that hypothesis, claiming that he has dozens of accounts from crew, investigators and briefed officials who say that the freight ship was actually ruled out as an explanation. The nature and origin of the craft are unknown and that they flew in ways that would basically put publicly known drone technology to shame. Now, that again is not to say definitively that it couldn't have been any kind of drone because arguably there could be some top secret drone technology or something like that. That is still a possibility. But it is a mystery and what this article does very effectively is point to a lot of holes in the drone hypothesis. The quadcopter hypothesis is, is definitely not you know, a case-closed situation. According to Corbell's sources and the Navy's own documents, which have been released under the uh, Freedom of Information Act, these craft's capabilities included hovering altitudes of up to 21,000 feet, flying for more than four hours, traveling long distances in one flight, and apparently being uh, impervious to anti-drone Navy technology. And also, the Navy documents actually show that this freight ship, Bass Strait, was docked in Long Beach, California, about 100 miles away when some of these incidents occurred, making Corbell's contacts very sceptical that it could have actually been the source of the swarm. So, very important to consider because that you have to really consider that these drones would have massive capabilities, unbelievable capabilities, to be able to fly about 100 miles from where they've been launched from. You know, and again, it, it is still possible that they are some kind of very, very advanced drones. But what happens if they're some kind of very, very advanced non-human drones? That is still, you know, is that still something we're considering as part of the uh, investigation here? Or do we just want to rule it out completely because we find the, the premise that that might even be possible to be ridiculous? Perhaps we need to think outside the box a little bit here because these things have, apparently can fly 100 miles in one flight and they can hover for hours on end i mean they seem pretty advanced i don't know of any good explanations of, of, of current known technology that could do that but anyway moving on corbell kind of paraphrased one of the witnesses who was on the uss russell who he claims told him that they saw one of the craft accelerate instantly into the upper atmosphere and other other sources apparently who, who had knowledge of this case said that the objects were detected moving from the air into the sea, which is what one of those videos apparently shows. So we're talking about objects here that could instantaneously accelerate, which bearing in mind is one of the observables that are used for identifying whether a craft is truly anomalous. And, you know, apparently they were detected moving from the air into the sea, which is actually... You know, another observable, the transmedium capability of being able to travel through air, through water. Again, if these really are drones, then they are very, very advanced. And, you know, are we talking about non-human drones here? You know, again, it's, it's all speculative and I can't prove anything to do with this without having access to that bigger picture data. But it's looking like there are some serious questions to be asked about these uh, whether these things were quadcopters let's just put it that way and apparently another really interesting quote from the article uh, from from chris and uh, josh here is that one of the crewmen 
who had a direct knowledge of the case, uh, called the incident, quote, world-changing, unquote. And he also went on to say, we don't have enough information to say whether this is man-made technology or not, but the amazing energy capacity of these craft is world-changing regardless, unquote. So if we're actually listening to what these people are saying, you know, the people who actually witnessed this, bearing in mind, we are talking about sources in the background here. We're talking about basically anonymous sources. But again, that's something that people jump on a lot. But you have to accept that any cases, especially sensitive cases that involve the military or defense capabilities, you're going to have to deal with anonymous sources. A lot of people like to jump on this, but Anonymous sources are part and parcel of doing journalism on certain types of topics. And it's something that I've noticed a lot recently. When it, even, you know, BBC articles, Sky News articles, some of the leading publications in the UK, they use anonymous sources all the time. You know, I've noticed it reading articles since I've been doing the podcast and I've kind of developed my own analysis of, of reading articles and picking out certain wording and things like that. When I read other articles that are non-UFO related, I do notice that there are anonymous sources being used all the time. So this idea that you can't trust anything coming through an anonymous source is just a little bit... Again, it's missing key parts of the, the bigger picture. If you don't consider what anonymous sources are saying, you are missing a part of that puzzle, in my opinion. But having said that, you can't hang your hat on something that's been said by an anonymous source. You just have to take it in as part of that bigger picture. And what I would like to see in this situation is a lot more actual testimony. Hopefully some of these witnesses actually come forward and are willing to put their name on the line and actually explain a lot more about their uh, particular involvement what they saw but uh, to be fair to Jeremy Corbell when it comes to things that he's done in the past he's been very good at doing that like for example one of the real breakthroughs about the Nimitz case was Chad Underwood coming forward because um, the Nimitz case, you know, the Tic Tac that David Fravor and others witnessed, um, there was a lot of debate about whether the object actually shot off rapidly to the to the left-hand side on the FLIR video. Jeremy Corbell was actually the one who got Chad Underwood on camera to come forward for the first time, and he actually went through exactly what happened, and he claims, you know, on camera, he claims that the object did actually indeed shoot off to the left and it wasn't just some kind of glitch on the system or some kind of error or some kind of losing of lock. you know. And that actually does play a big part in the understanding of what happened in that case. So knowing how good Jeremy Corbell has been on that kind of thing in the past, you know, I think it's fair to say that we might see more information coming forward from witnesses in this case as well, which is I think is, again, very important to take into account. But at the moment, you have to point out that they are coming. These these quotes are coming from anonymous sources. So take that for whatever you think it's worth. Now then, the point is though there is that they don't have enough information to say whether or not this is man-made technology. But if it is man-made technology, these things can do some frightening capabilities. They they really can do things that a lot of you know the accepted technology available to the public can't do. So whether or not this is some kind of non-human tech, whether or not this is some kind of maybe even, you know, going really out there, maybe it's some kind of, you know, 
links to some atmospheric phenomenon or something like that that seems a lot less likely to me because of the the movement patterns and things but i have heard people you know considering that as a as an explanation you know whether it's actually uh, some kind of adversarial tech with extremely advanced capabilities all of those possibilities are very intriguing a legitimate threat to national security and and worthy of looking into a lot further so this case is basically far from closed and i think there's going to be a lot more to come on this and you know this is another example of 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 chris sharps um you know excellent reporting digging into the details on cases just not, not accepting no for an answer when the actual evidence being put forward is insufficient to come to a proper conclusion you know what 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 Bray tried to do at the uh, congressional hearing was just to, to basically offer up a pretty weak argument to conclude the case and just say you know that footage you've been looking at for a while now and all the various other clips and, and the things you've been hearing from the the anonymous sources that were present at the time well don't worry about it because we saw something else on camera that looks kind of similar so we'll just forget all about that i don't think you should take that answer as a as a, as a good explanation so we we have to we have to th i think look into this further hopefully we get more actual data which is a bit lacking at this point you know but i think this is why we look to people like bray and these congressional hearings to actually give proper explanations and if they don't if they give a below par explanation as they have so far we need to ask more questions and i think the skeptics kind of you know the debunker community if you will jumping on what bray said at that hearing as an acceptable explanation is a bit telling of what they're actually willing to accept you know a very low standard of evidence was presented at that hearing and if they're willing to accept that as an explanation you know i think that says something about how really there's a bit of confirmation bias going on there you know we already thought it was a drone somebody in a suit at a hearing said that that is the case so that's fine then we'll just leave it at that no no what about all the other really important factors like the witness testimony and the sensor data that was clearly you know available to to investigators that they just didn't even consider so and and i believe actually bray was asked whether or not they did their own investigation into this and they didn't they're just aware of other investigations that took place which may even be referring to some of the internet skeptics who have done their own investigations. And if the Pentagon have literally just kind of took one look at it, found a clip that looks kind of similar and had a quick scan through some skeptical explanations on the internet, that is pretty shameful with something that's got the national security implications that this case has got. So anyway, we'll have to, we'll have to see how it progresses but again just a big shout out to chris sharp for um you know putting this article into the uk mainstream news and an excellent um you know breakdown of the whole case and uh, a thorough look into the more skeptical explanations that are being put forward and explaining why they are not likely to be a good explanation so just to quickly finish off the bass strait so the bass strait was the ship that apparently um was the launch platform for these suspected drones and one of the briefing slides that was actually revealed by the navy showed that the bass strait actually sailed past the uss paul hamilton around the time of one of the, the drone swarm incidents and 
the slide said that the ship was likely using UAVs, uh, UAVs to conduct surveillance on US naval forces. However, and this is where that explanation starts to fall apart, other slides showed that the unexplained craft were hovering around the warships before the Bass Strait actually came close and after it had docked in Long Beach, 100 miles away. And Jeremy Corbell had told the Daily Mail as part of this article interview that he has, quote, communicated with dozens of sailors, including one on board the USS Russell, who reports to have seen one of the objects accelerate instantaneously into the upper atmosphere and out of visual range, unquote. So as I mentioned earlier, an object instantaneously accelerating, shooting off into the upper atmosphere out of visual range. Very interesting indeed. That that kind of stuck with me. And there's something about the various objects which have, uh, you know, able to instantly accelerate upwards into the upper atmosphere that is particularly kind of a frightening capability to be able to do that. And it certainly doesn't sound like any drones that I'm aware of. But this is the problem, isn't it? When we don't get a proper thorough investigation speculation is is rife and that's what we need we need actual investigations we need a uh, you know something a lot more detailed than what's currently being put forward by dod officials to explain what actually went on here so we're going to leave it there for today's episode hope you've enjoyed that some pretty big uh, things going on there the brazilian hearings very interesting uh, to summarize i think it'll be interesting to see what the effect is on the american hearings whether it has any effect at all as i said i do think it's slightly limited by the fact that the hearings were in brazilian with not much translation available and that does kind of cut down the amount of international exposure that, that it would have um and the uh, the the ongoing situation with the green triangle drone swarm case which is you know continuing to kind of rumble onwards you know and that's another one that i'm going to be keeping an eye on to see how all this comes out but we do have to you know if, if there is a thorough evidence-based data-based investigation takes place and it confirms that these things were drones then okay fine you know I, i'll accept that but so far i've not seen a good enough investigation which uh, there's there's so much of the bigger picture that's been completely bypassed in order to come to certain conclusions that I can't accept that as a as a good explanation of what actually happened there, and we're just gonna have to see how it develops. I think Jeremy Corbell, personally, I think he's had a file it under him by the the, the criticism that he's received recently for um, that particular case. Now, the thing is with Jeremy Corbell as well, some people have, have said this recently, that he hypes things up a lot and all the rest of it. I get that not everybody's cup of tea is, you know, that's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, that approach. Me personally, I quite like it. I, I don't mind it. You know, he, he does this thing where he sort of says that something's going to be coming at high noon, you know, and then there's like a bit of a anticipation of what is going to be released. And then, as usual, some people are massively disappointed um, when it comes out and things like that. But why not? Why not have a bit of excitement? It helps to publicize the release of, of something new and exciting to do with the UFO topic. Some people aren't going to like it, but no matter what you do on the internet, some people are not going to like it. So... Me personally, I don't have much of a problem with Jeremy Corbell. And despite his kind of slight, 
you know, a bit of a showman kind of thing, uh, a persona and character that he has. Again, that's just one of them things. That's what Jeremy's like as a person. I don't have a problem with it. I think it's, it's quite entertaining personally. Um, you have to also consider the people that Jeremy Corbell is associated with. This is not just some kind of random guy who's got a bit of a, uh, you know, a, a sort of bravado type of character and all the rest of it. He's associated very closely and has been for years and years now with George Knapp, who has got an extremely good track record in this topic and a very, very credible reporter. You know, the legendary George Knapp. So uh, what comes along with that is also the sharing of contacts and sources and the the information that, that Jeremy Corbell will have picked up from George Knapp. And I think that those two are a bit of a formidable duo and I think we're going to see a lot more coming from them on this case and potentially others as well. There's always the thing that sticks in my mind of George Knapp was talking about details to do with OSAP and ATIP um, long before any of it was ever confirmed by the release of the Skinwalkers at the Pentagon book and things like that. Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp working together on this years ago, talking about details. When you go back and watch their old interviews, they were spilling the beans on this stuff before it was even, the public was even really that switched on about it. So I think they've got a very good track record in recent years. And this case, I don't think Jeremy Corbell would be putting his name behind this to the extent that he is unless he, he was very convinced and probably, you know, has had that sort of corroborated by what he's hearing from George Knapp as well. So one to keep an eye on. Looking forward to seeing what, you know, more comes out of it. The, uh, the drone swarm green triangle case is still a mystery and we shall see how it develops. Nothing beats a good mystery. Uh, and on that note, I'm going to leave it there for today. So if you like the podcast and you've enjoyed listening to this, do feel free to leave a positive review. Preferably, if you've really enjoyed it, leave a five-star review because it really does help the podcast uh, to continue to grow and uh, encourages the algorithms to actually uh, recommend the podcast to other people. Uh, so it really does help the show. And if you want to go a step further, you can support the podcast on Patreon for a, as little as a couple of pounds a month, a couple of dollars a month, or whatever your local currency is. And that allows you to get access to the early access of episodes. So every episode is at least a couple of days early on Patreon. You can send me messages directly there and I get back to everybody's messages. And um, it really helps to support the podcast and keep the show running. So thanks a lot for listening. If you've listened all the way to the end of this, you are clearly a hardcore listener of the podcast. So thank you for joining me and I hope the, to see you in the next episode. So till next time, stay curious, take it easy and I'll catch you in the next episode. UFO Thinker Podcast.